This is a challenging time to be in the yoga world. And maybe I should say that another way, that it's a challenging time to be in the world. There's so much disruption and so many inconsistencies. There are icons falling, structures falling. But I'm someone that really believes that in amongst all of that, there is also some beauty in there. But it's not easy to find some days. Really, though, the new blooms... So I'm in Canada. When I'm speaking this podcast, it is the very last day of January. It's not as cold as it should be because we're in climate change land, but it is definitely winter, and there's a lot of snow around. What I remember is that even though there is snow and there is... um, a blanket over the earth. There's no sign of growth at this moment. But I know that under the ground, in the deepest, darkest soil, seeds are restless. Bulbs are doing their work to be born. And the birth process must be the most disruptive process of our lives, that coupled with the dying process. Imagine the courage it takes that none of us can, as far as I know, remember what it was like in utero to begin to feel that quaking time of this house is too small, I need to be born, I need to move on. I imagine that for the tulip bulb or the crocus, it takes a tremendous amount of work. And what we see is this delicate flower, so easily mistaken for perhaps sensitive or weak, delicate, thin. But what courage it took and stamina and and muscle to first send the roots down into the earth so you've got to break through the shell of that bulb and then after the roots are strong enough and you've got the nutrients, new nutrients coming into the bulb then up, up, up toward what we hope is the surface of the soil what we hope is the birth canal to emerge out into the light but Who knows? Who goes in there with a compass? It must be the most tremendous act of faith and an instinct. And I guess in a way blind faith to simply charge ahead and know, but this is right action. This is what must happen for me to really realize my dharma. That time in the birth canal, that time of chipping away at the bulb is laborious. And I would imagine, 
kind of disheartening at times. Like, surely I'm getting close. I just read a mystery novel over the Christmas holidays, and one of the little sub-stories was of this woman who had found two goose eggs and one of the goslings was able to break through the shell fairly easily and be born. The other one really struggled. And so what this woman, in her kind-hearted way, did is she helped that gosling break its shell. The gosling didn't live more than a few days because, and this is what she found out after it died, was that that time of breaking through the shell is incredibly important to the strength of that gosling to get it through life like when when a kid you know when it's said oh it's great if a kid gets a cold or the flu because they need to build up their resistance well those birds those goslings those croci those tulips daffodils they need to break through their bulb and we need to come through the canal I don't mean that as any disrespect to C-sections. I'm a C-section baby, and I'm pretty damn strong. But it's the work, right? And what I see right now is this, just this real polarity and dualism in the world. The the vaccinating, pro-vaccinating people against the anti-vaxxers, and this actual up. Uh, absolute vilifying particularly the anti-vaxxers I don't even know where I stand on that I don't get the flu shot I don't want it I I have a good immune system and I don't want to tamper with it but you know measles, mumps, all those things sure, tetanus but why the vilification why do we have to go to that place why are we so fearful What if what if we let each other be? And there's a place where we do have to fight the good fight. There's a place where we gotta get through that birth canal. But it's not about right and wrong. It's not about, oh, look at how stupid they are. They can't even peck through their shell. Look at how dumb they are. They're going to vaccinate against the shell. There's this thing, I started this off by saying it's hard to be in the yoga world, and then I got really distracted. My element primarily is water, and so I tend to flow wherever the the riverbed takes me. Anyway, I'm back now. <laughs> the yoga world. Everyone's trying to patent their style. I do this and you do that. I do hot, I do yin. I do trauma-informed yoga. All of these aspects are really important and there are times where we all do all of it there are times where I get really hot in a practice and I get a good sweat going on there are times where 
just want to stay in a pose. I just want to stay for that five-minute hold or more. There are times where I want the permission that comes with trauma-informed yoga. If it's right for you, maybe you could try this. And there are times where I want a stronger anchor than that. To say, look at this structure. Can you find your fire and get here? Can you get through that birth canal? And I just don't know if we really need to be so definitive and compartmentalized, divisive. It's like taking a cup of water out of the ocean and saying, this is what the ocean is. And I know all about this cup. And it's the answer to the rest of the ocean. I really want the whole ocean. I don't want to go for a swim and look for only one piece of coral that I heard about and then check it off my list of things I've seen. Because when I'm looking for that one piece of coral that I'm, or one fish that I can cross off my list, I am swimming by magnificence, but utterly unaware. And I am probably swimming by all of these places where I could learn and grow in the vulnerability of being curious. I find, you know, for me, I want to teach all kinds of things. I want to hold poses sometimes. I want to get really restorative sometimes, get a good sweat on. And for me, it makes for diversity in the world not homogeneity, you know? So that's one part that's hard in the yoga world. The other, maybe even um, more challenging part is all these stories of gurus who have committed sexual assault, taken advantage. And I mean, that story's been going on forever, but particularly for the 20 years I've been a teacher, starting with Amrit Tasai at Kripalu and Bikram and John Friend, and now Swami Shivananda, and, you know, there's something about making your guru your god, and I know for a bhakti yogi that's important, someone who is devotional, it's important, but I don't know if we're ready to be gods, I don't know if we've really done enough work and if in the human form many of us are capable of being seen as a god I just don't know and I think it gets us into trouble I really feel like I walk beside people like I'm really in the mud with them because I am working hard at birthing myself every day and maybe it's even exhausting to people around me, I don't really know, but I really like transformation, I really like learning. I really like... I really like self-savoring. I like seeing all the other fish and all the other pieces of coral. 
and I want to feel what it's like to swim like them sometimes. So it's like this, it's like this deciding that everything must be one way. And I think the louder the world gets, we have a choice, right? We either hang on to structure like right and wrong, or we let go. So there's this story thousands of years ago that most children in India are raised on and it is the story of the Mahabharata and the Mahabharata was an epic poem but the one chapter that I have studied more well, only chapter I've studied to be honest is the Bhagavad Gita which a lot of us need to study when we're becoming yoga teachers and the Gita is a single chapter of the Mahabharata and it it's this one conversation. So the story of the Mahabharata is these two factions of a family have to go to war. There's the Kauravas and the Pandavas. And the Kauravas are, you know, kind of raping and pillaging and they're violent and they're causing, they're wreaking havoc in the world. Pandavas, on the other hand, are more peaceful and um, loving and more consciously minded. So Arjuna is one of the, one of the Pandavas. And he has to go to war against the Kauravas so that there can be peace in the world. But he's a pretty enlightened guy, and so there he is on the battlefield, and he looks across the field and he sees his cousins, who he's going to go to war with, because they're from the same family originally. And he says, as mine, well, I, I can't kill those people because I know everybody is God, and if I kill them, I'm really killing God, and I have no right to do that. So, you know, big existential crisis, and Arjuna says, I really need help. And I'm really filtering this story into very small passage. But anyway, the help comes in the form of Krishna. Krishna comes down in his chariot to counsel Arjuna, the great warrior. And what he says to Arjuna is, Arjuna, you need to fight. You need to raise up your arms because it is your dharma. It is right action for you. And if you don't do it, these people are going to keep on taking over the world. And you have an opportunity to set the balance right. Caveat, also, Krishna says, had humans done their work earlier, we wouldn't be in this place. But we are in this place. So Arjuna, I need you to act. And the whole thing in the Gita is about action without attachment to the outcome. So... For me, I think about it this way. Right action can sometimes be to let go, and sometimes it's to lead and to fight or to love. So, for example, if I'm teaching a yoga class, I might say in a pose, where do you need to lead? So that might be on the exhale. So I'm going to exhale in little boat twist, drawing my belly to my back, and I'm going to feel this great extension in my spine. But the other side of that is, where can I let go? Where can I trust? So if my teeth are clenched as I take action, it's likely an unnecessary part. So what I could do 
so I could let go through my jaw. Because part of that jaw clenching is mistrust. Part of that jaw clenching is fear that I don't really know what I'm doing or where I'm going and surely I'm wrong and surely I'm bad and surely I'm unlovable. So Krishna is saying to Arjuna, I'm going to hold this mirror up for you. I'm going to show you who you really are. And that is a great warrior, but a great warrior of the heart. In fact, there's a remedy in Ayurveda called Arjuna, and it's specifically for the heart, to tonify and strengthen the heart. Because in the end, right action comes from love. So, where do you lead? And where do you let go? Is leadership the compartmentalizing, the saying, this is me and you are you, and we are different? You're wrong and I'm right, or you're right and I'm wrong, and I'm going to make you my God. Is right action, is love, to take a single cup out of the ocean and say, this is all there is. This is all I need to know. Or is right action to let your guard down, to break through the husk of differentiation and dualism, of individuation, dive into the ocean and say tell me more it's scary I I notice in myself a pretty strong commitment to holding on a therapist helped me to understand one time that it's called irregular attachment so if as a kid it wasn't safe consistently to attach then we end up with this thing called irregular attachment dip your toe in sometimes let people in but oftentimes keep people out keep experience out this is what I teach in my yoga class and this is all I teach this is my cup of the ocean Call me God and follow me. For me, the braver act is to say, let's go swimming together. I have some direction for you. You know, I can show you a little bit about how to keep yourself safe. I can show you a lot about that. I'm going to hold the space for you. I'm going to watch out for you when you're swimming. So that if you get into trouble, I'm going to help you come back to shore. But I'm not going to move your legs for you. I'm not going to move your arms for you. I will lead by showing you, you know, where it's safe to dive. I'll, I'll show you some places that you might swim to. 
I'll lead by holding the space for you, watching out for you. But I will let go of what you will discover because I don't know. I don't know what your birth canal will look like today because it's every day, every moment, we're birthing something. And I'm not going to take that away from you by making it mine. It's yours. And, you know, there were the... um, the Upanishads, they came after the Vedic age. It's a lot of philosophy. I hope that this isn't too much, but the Vedas, like thousands of years ago, they were basically about, it was about a time when priests offered sacrifices to the gods in order for us to have good crops and things like that. But you had to go through the priest. They were the higher class She'd give them something to sacrifice. and Things weren't going well. Crops were dying and the priests were saying, well, you're giving me crappy sacrifices and, you know, you need to do more. Anyway, some people decided, I I don't know about that anymore. I think that I'm going to take some time and, and just sit. And I don't know if that's really what happened, but what came out was this message that, you know, if I go and get really quiet in the caves and what we know now to be meditation. If I meditate, I find stillness. I find God inside of me. Can you imagine the disruption of that? And I think I've done a podcast about this already because it fascinates me and I think we're in that time again. When leaders are not leading anymore, when really it's lunatics posing as leaders, it is time for us to find our own internal leadership, our own self-determination, our own God inside. Because those leaders, we've let them think they're God. And boy, are they ever not God. At least not the God I want to have. Not a God I want to pray to. So what is right action for you? It's going to take a lot of courage. It's going to take that Arjuna medicine in your heart. But it's inside of you. It's not your guru. It's not the kind of yoga you do. It's not the job you have. The friends you keep, the clique that will allow you to be part of them. It's a free fall. But you know what? It's a free fall into Indra's web. And that's the, the web of the cosmos or the universe or energy around you. It's like our fascia, but we can't see it or feel it. Well, sometimes I think we can feel it, but we can't see it. It's that thing that binds I imagine it's the way fungus in the forest talk to each other, trees talk to each other, and ourselves. You know, when you have that spidey sense, you walk into a room and think, ooh, I don't think this is a good room for me. That's a vibration on Indra's web. So when you go free-falling, 
or when you start to peck through the husk of the bulb, not knowing if you are really going up towards sunlight, but thinking for sure you are. I promise you that Indra's web is there to catch you and hold you, to power you through. So the interesting part of all that is that it's a lack of compartmentalizing. It's putting the cup of water back in the ocean to say, tell me more. But it is also individuation because Arjuna was born to be a great warrior I was born to do what I do. And you were born to do what you do. That crocus was born to make us smile in the spring and do all the great things it does for ecology. So there's individuation. There's I am in that. But that doesn't make you wrong. I am this and you are that. And... We are one. Rumi said, we are not a single drop in the vast ocean, but we are the vast ocean in a single drop. We are all of it. Those lunatic leaders, they are part of you and they are part of me and they are motivating me every day to find my truth to birth my life, to take my right action against the Karavas metaphorically in my life. But I can't do that without first looking inwardly to find my truth, my right action, where today I might lead and where today I must let go. You are doing an amazing job at being you. You are exactly where your soul intended you to be in this moment. Could you do me a favor and stop telling yourself otherwise? Could you do me a favor and put the cup back in your ocean of being? Because you are so much more than that single cup. And it's time the world got to see that. We need you to lead. Whether that's being a noble parent really great sibling, partner, a warrior. A sweeper of streets. 
It's time now. And then you figure out what you are here to do and leave the rest to the others. Let go. Just let go. We got it. It's not up to you entirely. But you are up to you entirely. So get back into your chariot. Get back into your canoe. Feel the current. Find out where you really need to paddle and where you could just let go. I'm so glad you're in this world. I'm so glad to be swimming with you. Om Shanti. Namaste.